Well, today, I want to ask you a question. Is it time to get better friends? How many have ever felt that way? You know, you said to yourself, man, it's time for me to get some better friends. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, let me just ask, propose a few questions for you here as I get into this this morning. But, you know, have you ever, have you ever had a friend let you down? Come on, you can be honest. Sure. Have you uh, ever experienced a disappointment because of a friend's behavior or things that they've done to you? Have you ever had a friend who gossiped on you and about you? Have you ever been stabbed in the back by a friend? You know? Yeah. Have you ever had a friend who attaches to you like a leech and then bleeds you dry? You ever had one of those friends? Just like, <laughs> can't get the money. You ever had one of those? I've had one of those. And have you ever thought to yourself at the end of the day, man, I need to get better friends. I need to get better friends. You know, for those of you who are like me and you came to Christ uh, older in life, later in life, didn't come to Christ as a child, you know, it was obvious to you when you came to Christ that you needed better friends, right? And so I realized that my friends that I had BC, before Christ, were probably not going to be the kind of friends I was going to keep long term. So I had one of two choices. I either had to pick new friends or get the old friends to walk with Christ as well. So I did a little bit of both. And uh, some of my old friends came to Christ, and, and, uh, and then I got new friends. And then I thought to myself, you know, with my new friends being my brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, I will never experience any of those bad friend things again, right? And, and, and I'm sure if you're like me, your experience for the most part with your Christian friends has been great. I mean, I got to admit, I, uh, I've got some phenomenal uh, friends in the kingdom. And uh, it, they, they're trustworthy. The experience is, is incredibly rewarding and it's wonderful. But, and, I, and I hope that's your testimony. But maybe even as a Christian, you thought to yourself, I need to get better friends. You know, you thought, man, I, I, I thought I would never be gossiped about again, but here it is happening to me again. Or I thought I'd never get stabbed in the back again. Or I thought, you know, I'd never have a Christian friend who would attach to me like a leech and would bleed me dry. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that you've had some of those experiences in the body of Christ as well. And, and you know what? That's expected because the body of Christ isn't a perfect place, but it is a redeemed place. And, and it's a place filled with people who came into this thing just like you, with all kinds of baggage and problems and everything else. And every one of us is a work in progress. Everybody say work in progress. We're all a work in progress, every single one of us. In fact, one of the things we love to teach at Celebrate Recovery is that life, the journey of life is about process and progress that, you know, we're all making progress, but we're all still in process, right? The only, there's none of us here in this life that will be able to say, I've arrived. And if you think you can say that, you're deluded. The reality is only one person could say that, and he hung on a cross, right? The rest of us will always be in process, but it doesn't mean that you need to be in process about the same thing. You know, you can, you can have uh, things that you got victory over, and, and I love how they start a Celebrate Recovery meeting, and person introduces himself, says, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, who celebrates uh, victory over or recovery from, and yet is working on, right? We, got, we have both confessions in the house, and that's the way the kingdom should be. 
There are things that I'm no longer struggle with. I haven't struggled with for over 30 years, 35 years of walking with Christ. And there's other things that I'm still working on. Some of them I'd like to blame on my Irish heritage, like the little bit of temper that I still have, you know? And my wife gets to witness it as I'm working on cupboards and whack my head off a cabinet like I did last night, you know? And, uh, you know, you're still... Why are you laughing? Has that ever happened to you, Nick? A few times, yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, because we're, we're, in, we're in process, right? But there are things that... that that today I have, ab have absolutely no hold on my life at all because I've made progress. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? And so that is the Christian journey. And because that's the Christian journey, it's very likely that you have had some of these experiences from friends that have not been good, even in the body of Christ. But you know what? When that happens, you have to, you have to make some choices. And um, you could say to yourself, I just need better friends, but I'm going to help you navigate through this this morning that that question, is it time to get better friends, may not be the answer. There might be a better way. Amen? See, the truth is we all need good friends. We need them. Uh, in fact, the Bible elevates it from friendship and says that, you, that you're actually brothers and sisters. You're part of a family. You've been knit together by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that you need each other. None of you is an island unto yourself. God never intended us to live our Christianity out in isolation. And, and, I, and I, I firmly stand against those people who are Christians who say, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be part of the church. Hogwash. Just nonsense. You need to be part of the church. And, uh, well, you know, you, I don't need to go to a building. That, that may be technically true that you don't need to actually come here, but you need all these people. And since they're all here, wouldn't it be just convenient to be there with them? It's like, you know, you call yourself a fan of a particular team, but you'd never actually go to their game, but you'd go to somebody else's game. I would call hogwash on that, you know? So if these are your people, then you should be with your people. Amen? And, and that's what we do. As we gather together as the body of Christ, I, I've had people tell me that the worst thing about COVID and not being in church is, is what disruption it made in the rest of their life through the week because they never realized on a Sunday morning how many appointments they made to get together with people through the rest of the week, how many uh, people they talked to that they got to talk about the problems they had in the rest of the week. And all of that happens in community as we're together. And when you remove that, you remove a part of our connection with one another. Amen? And so people have found it very difficult. See, life without friends is an impossible journey. God never intended for us to live that way. Listen to, the, listen to the wisdom of the Proverbs. It says, ointment and perfume delight the heart, and sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. Isn't that great? And then it says in verse 10 uh, of tw Proverbs 27, do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend, nor go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a friend or a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. Wow. See, the the, the the one writing the proverb had an understanding and a revelation of how important it is to have friends because the reality is those who are close to you, those who are nearby, those who are part of your life, they have the opportunity to help you in your journey. They have the opportunity. I have family, but none of them live in this area. But I have family of God that are here, and they're here for me all the time. Am I making any sense to anybody? 
There is no one like family, that's true, but sometimes we, what we need is family that's close by, family that's near, and that's what the family of God is. It's family that's near. It's family that you can count on. And, uh, you know, my siblings are, you know, all in Toronto or Montreal, all over the place, but thank God for the family of God. Amen? And uh, I'm grateful that my children are close by, and I get to be involved in my grandkids' lives, and that they have each other, and they didn't all move apart and disperse and all that kind of thing. But not every family gets that benefit. We need the family of God. Amen? We need each other. So this month, as we talk about the, uh, you know, family, we're closing out talking about family, I thought this morning I wanted to remind us of how important this family is and how much we, uh, through Jesus Christ, have been grafted into a family, not into a religion, not into uh, some kind of a community or organization, but into a family. And that the language the Bible uses to describe this friendship is so deep and so intimate that the language of family is used more often than anything else. Because you're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how deep our friendship goes. So, you've probably all had that opportunity to say to yourself at some point, it's time for better friends. Well, then today is that message for you. I'm going to help walk you through how to have better friends. Amen? You excited about that? All right. Well, so let's dive in. So first of all, if you've ever wondered to yourself, man, it's time to get better friends, I want to tell you, you're in good company. You are in good company. So let's establish that as the first fact this morning, that your sense in which I could use some better friends, or my friends have hurt me, my friends have, have done things to me that, that have been difficult, you're in good company. Because guess what? It all happened to Jesus. It all happened to our Lord and Savior. Jesus can relate to your feelings of being wounded by your friends. Jesus was abandoned. He was abandoned, not just by the masses, but by his friends, not just by the 70, but by the 12. And not just by the 12, but by his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Jesus experienced abandonment by his closest friends. Jesus was stabbed in the back. Judas sold him, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. You think you've been stabbed in the back. I would greatly imagine that very few of you have ever experienced somebody taking money to turn you in for something. But that's what Jesus had happen. Jesus was gossiped about. Despite having no sin and doing good everywhere he went, it was whispered about in the marketplace that he was nothing but a, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Right? That's what the scripture says. That's how those who who uh, lived about around him as his neighbors and the people he was with. That's how they spoke about him. That's how they spoke about him. Then Jesus was wounded deeply by his friends when he needed them the most. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he, he knows what's about to happen to him, he's, he knows that he's about to enter into the, the purpose for which he came, which was going to be the painful process of giving his life for humanity. In that moment, when he was counting on his friends to stand with him, what happened? He turned around. What were they doing? They were sleeping. His friends were sleeping on the job. Jesus needed them to be close by, and they were asleep. They were asleep. And he had to rouse them for the sleep, from their sleep and say, guys, the time's come. You missed it. You had a chance to stand with me, but you missed it. You were sleeping. And then while Jesus hung on the cross, 
the disciples scattered. Peter even denied knowing him three times. Peter, the one that walked on water with Jesus, right? The one that said, Lord, I, I would never, ever, ever abandon you. Denied him three times. So if you're sitting here this morning and you've had any of these experiences that I talked about with friends, even friends in the body of Christ, understand this. It happened to Jesus too. That I think that's one of the reasons why the scriptures talk often about how there's no temptation, there's no experience that you haven't experienced that, that he's not familiar with. Because Jesus has walked this journey called life. You know, God could have somehow just sent Christ as a full-grown man and just sent him to earth and, and, and on the mission of dying for us. But instead, he lived what historians think was about 33 years before he went to the cross, forged relationships, experienced family, experienced all of those things before he hung on the cross. And so he had deep relationships. He had deep friendships. He traveled with over three, for over three years with the disciples as a band of brothers united together. And then in his moment of need, they were nowhere to be found. They were nowhere to be found. And in his moment of greatest need, most powerful words of scripture, Jesus looked up even at heaven and he said, Father, where are you? He didn't say it exactly like that, but he said, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? He even felt distance from his heavenly father as he hung upon the cross. And God the Father had to place all the sins of the world upon him and then had to look away as Jesus took those sins to the cross. So no matter how wounded you've been, no matter how hard a time you now have trusting other people, Jesus experienced it worse. When the Bible says that every temptation, even the temptation to shut people out because they've wounded you, every temptation he experienced yet without sin. Hear what I'm saying this morning. Jesus knows what it's like. Jesus knows what it's like to have those hurts, to experience those pains because he knows that it hurts when our friends fail us, when they let us down, when they abandon us, when they stab us in the back. So when that happens, what are your options? Well, I grew up with some really great advice, sage advice from my dad on all kinds of things. And one of the phrases that he used to use all the time, and you've probably all heard it before, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on. So what does that say about friends stabbing you in the back? If it happens once, it's on them. But if I let it happen to me again, that's on me. Now, my dad taught me if somebody does something to you, cut them off. Adam, you're laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Your dad came from the same generation, probably gave you the same kind of counsel. I mean, my dad just said, if they're going to do that to you, wash your hands of them, son. Wash your hands of them. Don't open yourself. Because if you open yourself up and you let them do that to you a second time, that's on you. That's on you. I got that drilled into me when I was a kid. So I was like, nobody's ever going to do that to me. And if they do it once, they're not going to get a second try. And there's all kinds of different types of advice, but they generally fall into that same protectionist uh, expression that we were taught to guard our heart. How many have ever heard that phrase? 
to, to protect yourself from those kinds of things, to not experience uh, people doing that kind of stuff to you. But you know what? Is that how Jesus operated? No. Sure, Judas took his own life when he realized the magnitude of what he did and he couldn't live with it. But the other, the other disciples, the other 11, were all, were all forgiven by Jesus and reacquainted with him as brothers. <laughs> it didn't matter that they abandoned him, that they left him, that they denied him, that they stabbed him in the back. No matter what they did, Jesus welcomed them back with open arms. Now, please understand, you know, we could do a whole other sermon series on boundaries, and it is important to have boundaries in your life. That if you've got a repeat offender, you can put up some healthy boundaries where you still love that person, you still care for that person, and you would still be willing to help that person, but there's only so much trust you can place in that person because the bridge of trust has been fully eroded, right? So I'm not talking about turning yourself into a doormat in case there's people from CR who are saying, Pastor, careful now. We all need good boundaries here. Yes, I realize that. But what I am saying is that when, when given the opportunity and a person's willingly coming to you in repentance, you need to release forgiveness and reestablish those bridges once again because that's what Jesus would do. You see, the disciples all turned to him shameful for what they'd done. When they realized that Jesus rose from the dead, they were, they were smitten in their heart. And Jesus, we have a phrase around Desert Stream that describes this. It's like you never left. We just, there's, there's no reason. There's no obstacle to the relationship that we can have in Christ. Nothing. Because that's what Jesus did for me. And he didn't just do it once, he did it twice. How many of you, he did it three times for you? Four? Four hundred? right? Remember Jesus, the disciples asking and said, Jesus, how many times should we forgive somebody, right? Seven times, right? Seven times, thinking they're being really generous. Seven? And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. Was Jesus really literally saying only 490 times? That's, that's the limit. 491, you cut him off! No, he was just trying to expand their thinking, you know, it's like, uh, you know, like when a grandkid comes up and says, I love you a million times, Papa. You know, they have no idea what a million means. They just mean there's no limit, right? Jesus was trying to say the same thing, that you don't put a cap on that. If someone comes to you and, 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 and they want reconciliation, your only, only response is forgiveness because that's what Jesus did. Amen? Jesus forgave them after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to the disciples. He forgave Thomas of doubting, right? He forgave Peter for denying him. He forgave all the disciples for abandoning him. And Jesus welcomed them back as family. He said, you're my people. And because they were loved in that way, they transformed the world. You see, if we'll give that kind of love to people, we can help unlock the great potential they have to transform the world in partnership with Jesus Christ. Amen? So, if you want to, as the Bible says, you want to live as Jesus lived, then forgive. Could I encourage you this morning? Forgive. Now, if people are not repentant, it's hard to forgive people who aren't repentant, right? 
If they're still sitting holding on to all that stuff, you might have to wait. You can, you can release grace to them and you can release mercy to them, but to, you can't experience reconciliation until there is a transformation of their heart. I understand that. But as far as you're concerned, you can start by releasing them. Amen? You can start by doing that. All right. So first of all, if it's ever happened to you, you're in good company and your response is to forgive. Second thing is to recognize that even, when it, even if it's happened to you, and I'm sure it has, that even Christian friends have hurt you. Listen to this counsel this morning. Recognize you still need good friends. We all need friends. Friends can hurt you and they can let you down, but you still need friends. You can't, your response can't be, well, that's it, fine. I'm just not going to trust anybody anymore. Malcolm Gladwell, how many know who he is? He's written a number of books, Tipping Point. Uh, I can't remember all the rest of them, but he wrote one just last year, and it's called Talking with Strangers. Uh, Katrina recommended it to me, and I got a hold of the book. And, and uh, the whole book is, is about how we engage with, with humanity. And the premise of the book is basically this, without giving it all away. It's an incredible read, and I would recommend you get a hold of it. But the premise is basically this, that culture, society only works when it's built on a foundation of trust. When we start from a premise of distrust, it invites all kinds of problems, that we have to start from a foundation of trust. This is a man that, as far as I know, is not a believer in Christ, but has an understanding and a revelation that society can't work if we start with a foundation of distrust. We instead must start with a foundation of trust. Now, the, the disadvantage to starting with a foundation of trust is that it opens us up to being hurt, being deceived, being wounded. That's true. But the alternative, starting from a foundation of distrust, opens up a whole world of problems that we just don't want to have part of our culture. We don't want that part of our culture. I don't want to meet somebody walking down the street and at 10 o'clock at night and start from a posture of distrust. Because if I start from that posture, I'm going to start arming myself. I'm going to start getting ready to pull it out. And then this person reaches for their cell phone, and the next thing you know, you've put a bullet in their head. That happens when we start from a foundation of distrust. We have to start from a foundation of trust. And yes, we will sometimes get hurt, but it's even more so important in the body of Christ that we start with a foundation of trust. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know, you may be tempted when you get hurt in the body of Christ to think, I need to go back to my old friends. At least it never happened to me there. But, but you know what? Those that, that don't embrace the cross, that don't embrace Christ, it, you know, Bible, the Bible says, if you're, if you're not for me, you're against me. So I, even though I don't want you to see them as the enemy, you have to understand that trading in the friends that you have in the body of Christ for friends that don't know Jesus is a mistake. That doesn't mean you shouldn't befriend people that don't know Jesus. That's not my point. But the people that you need to build solid community with are the ones in the body of Christ. Because they're the ones that have the tools and the equipment to help you to go further and to go deeper and to go higher in the kingdom of God. I have all kinds of friends as well that don't know Jesus yet, and I'm always sharing with them, encouraging them, blessing them, and doing everything I can. But the reality is the deep things of my heart the things that I cherish most, I, I, I give and I, 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 I put them in the hands of someone that I trust can handle those and will, will use them uh, wisely and compassionately. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? The role of friends is sometimes to hurt us. Not intentionally, per se, and, and not in a, in, a, in a wicked way or an evil way, but sometimes, you know, being... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? In relationship with somebody can be a little bit abrasive. And the Bible knows that. It says this in Proverbs 27, 17. Good chapter on friendship, by the way. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. So in other words, what the scripture is saying is that the experience of walking in relationship with one another should sometimes be a little abrasive because there's, how many know there's edges on you and there's edges on me that need to be rubbed off? And that happens as I allow somebody else the permission to sand me down a little bit, rub off some of those edges and, and challenge me on maybe my communication with my wife or how I speak with my children. I'm so grateful for the advice that, that we received uh, as we were parenting. And we were parents with young kids and we had a couple in the church pull us aside and said, you know what, you're just being too hard on your kids. Now, I have a choice when I hear that. I can go, well, who are you to tell me I'm being too hard on my kids? You know, right? But instead, we went, hmm. We received it from them. And the reason is because they came to us in humility. So we know because we, did, we made the mistake with our kids. And they came humbly to us and said, we were, we were way too hard on our kids. And thank God that in his grace and mercy, they made it through. But now we can see you're making the same mistake. And so we changed. We changed. We've had encounters like that through our life where, see, that's an iron sharpening iron moment. They loved us enough to tell us the truth and bang, a little bit gets rubbed off and we become better people for it. See, sometimes our Christian journey, it hurts like that. And, and our first instinct is to put our back up and say, you got no business telling me what to do. But maybe it's a moment where we should stop and go, okay, you know, uh, maybe I should listen to what they're saying. Lord, you know, even when somebody who I think is a little bit wingy comes up to me with a revelation of something I need to do, I've learned to go, maybe I'll just consider that. I don't just blow it off anymore, even if they're a little bit, woohoo, you know? And you guys know what I'm talking about. You get some of those people come up to you and say, I think you just need to do this. Really? I'll take that under advisement. <laughs> right? No. I've learned to go, okay, well, God, you know, you spoke through Balaam's ass. Maybe you're talking to me right now, you know? Uh, I can, and I just listen. I go, okay, maybe, maybe there's a revelation here. And I go home and I look in the mirror. Is that true, Lord? You see, being humble enough to admit that you haven't got it all together is one of the ways in which you allow iron to sharpen iron in your experience. And we need friends for that. We need friends that care enough about us to tell us the truth. And you have to have the posture where you're willing to hear it. And if you hear it and you think to yourself at the end of the day and you've prayed it through, I don't agree with it, then just say, well, you know, I appreciate you telling me that. I, I'll keep taking that to the Father, but as it stands right now, I, you know, I think we're good. Hopefully that, and if that person's mature, then they'll go, okay, I did what I was told. I delivered the message. Now I'm just going to let it go, right? Amen? All right. See, when it gets practical, everybody gets so quiet in here. We're like, you know, uh, you know, if you just stick to all the, uh, the ethereal stuff, people go, oh, yes, pastor, we just got to love one another. And then as soon as you start talking about loving them, even if they smell or if they did this bad or they did that bad, whoa, whoa, you know, it gets a little bit harder. <laughs> Final point I want to make this morning is this. If you ever thought to yourself, I just need better friends. 
Let me just say this to you this morning. If you want better friends, be one. If you want better friends, be one. Corey and I were talking about that before, right, Corey? You want better friends, you got to be a better friend. That's how you get better friends. You be a better friend. Proverbs 18, 24 is a familiar passage, and you've probably heard it quoted many times before, and it says this. In fact, I was praying at the beginning of my message, and I even quoted it. It says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, right? How many have heard that phrase before? You know, uh, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And, and it's one of those verses that gets applied messianically. So in other words, when people hear it, even though there's nothing really in the context that would tell us that, we should, that it's speaking about Christ, we tend to... We tend to apply it to Christ, right? We tend to hear that and go, there is, there is a friend, a friend. Oh, okay, that's Jesus who sticks closer than a brother, right? How many have done that? Uh, I remember when I, was, when I was first saved, I had uh, a friend, his name's Brad, and Brad liked to drag race motorcycles. And so he, he had uh, a, a Kawasaki uh, 750 triple uh, two-stroke. Uh, those things were animals. Uh, a two-stroke engine, 750 cc of power. Rod, that's just crazy. And you know what I'm talking about, right? The thing was nuts. And then he had done a bunch of work to it. He had, so this thing, if you banged on the throttle, it just wheelied. So he had wheelie bars that were eight feet long out the back of the bike to keep it from popping up. And he had a slick on the rear end of the bike that was about this wide. And when he pinned that thing on the drag strip, he could do a quarter mile in about four seconds, just down the track. And you're like, whoa, look at that thing. And, and one of the, the elders in the church came up to him one Sunday and they said to him, you know, you, the Bible says not to foolishly tempt the Lord thy God. You shouldn't be going to the drag strip and putting your life in danger like that. That's foolishly tempting the Lord thy God. Why would you go and do that? And he said, well, I believe God's with me even when I'm at the drag strip. And he said, why? He goes, because the Bible says he's a friend that sticks closer than the brother. He goes, yeah. He goes, my brother's with me at the drag strip. So I figure Jesus is there too. <laughs> so that's what I mean. That verse often gets applied, uh, what they call, you know, as a theophanic verse, you know, one that is messianic or applied to God. And it may or may not be appropriate to do so. I'm not here to argue that point this morning. The point is this, though. Did you know that when you quote that, uh, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother, you're only quoting the second half of the verse. Did you know that? I didn't even know that. I know, I'm sure I've read this before, but it jumped out at me this past uh, month as I was contemplating these passages. And, and listen, listen to what it says, the first part of the verse. It says, a man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Touche, mon frere. That's what it says in the first half of the verse. It says the man or slash woman who has friends must himself first be friendly. (laughs) Look it up in whatever translation you got. It's going to say something similar to that, I'm sure. And then it says, you know, uh, there's a, a friend that sticks close to the brother. Could it be? that the one who sticks closer than the brother, the second half of the verse, is the one who's lived the first half of the verse. That if you're the person who has first learned the, the jewel, the gem of being friendly, then you will be indeed a friend that sticks closer than a brother. 
You'll be the one who's known as that kind of friend. You see, it's easy, it's infinitely easy to complain about others and to be critical of our friends. But it's not so easy to go home and look in the mirror and ask yourself, what kind of friend have I been? What kind of friend have I been? <laughs> Sometimes it's, the temptation to be a bit snarky happens. I, uh, I admit I can get there. Uh, during uh, this past year, I phoned up somebody I hadn't spoke to in a long time. So I called them up. Uh, they didn't answer, so I just left a voicemail. Just say, hey, how are you doing? Wanted to see how, how you're doing. And then they emailed me back and said, nice to get my annual phone call from the pastor. And I was like, okay. And I said, yeah, yeah, I felt it was time to call you because if I waited for you to call me, we'd never talk. <laughs> Bing! <laughs> Touche, right? The temptation's there. Sometimes we want to fight that way. And yes, pastors are people too. We have those moments where, you know, we get a little sharp and we just put that thing out there. But, you know, then I started thinking to myself, who have I not called? Who have I not spoken to in a long while? And it was a moment for the Lord to just, you know, speak to me. And so we started calling up people that we haven't, I've been calling people I haven't talked to in years and speaking with them. And we even found some friends that were in difficult times, sent them money, were just able to bless them and encourage them through the whole COVID thing and, and all the rest of it because they weren't working. And, and all kinds of strife and problems that people are experiencing. And I've spoken with people that I haven't spoken to in, in months, sometimes in years. And, uh, you know, I, I got jarred from my own response, my own reaction into the reality of being a better friend. Because I think that's the message here today, really. You know, I, I start off facetiously saying, is it time to get better friends? But the real question today is, is it time to be a better friend? You know, so many people come into the body of Christ and you know, when they come into the church, yeah, sometimes they genuinely are just hungry for God and they come to church because they want God. But most people show up because they want connection with other people. They want God, but they want God with skin on. They, they want to be with people that, like the old cheer song used to say on TV, where everybody knows your name, right? They want to be with people that care about them. They want to be with people that love them. And, and, and sometimes <laughs> friendship gets in the way of that because we, we all, we're allowed to have people that we like more than others and that we hang around with more than others. So don't get me wrong. This is, it's not wrong to have that. But sometimes we end up you know, getting these friends in the body of Christ and other people can't penetrate the circle, right? And so what happens is people come in and, and, a, and a wonderful, vibrant, healthy church with lots of great friends becomes a difficult place to crack because we, we haven't made room for more friends and help people connect with more friends. And so we need to be mindful that most people who come in here are looking, they, they just want to have some life lived out with other people. And, and they see Christ as being the answer. And in fact, the scripture even tells us that they've come to the right place because the world will know that we're Christians by our what? Love for one another. And so they see that happening in the body and they say, I want, I want to get me some of that. And that's why they show up. That's why they show up. So...
God's godly friendships, the point I'm getting at this morning, are reciprocal. That godly kingdom friendships are not one-sided, they're double-ended. They're me giving to others and them giving to me. And so to get better friends, then I need to be a better friend. I need to be the one that picks the phone up and calls. I need to be the one that says, hey, let's get together and have a coffee. I need to be the one who's willing to crack open the vault of my heart and share a little sliver of personal struggle or, or, or openness and, and entrust them with it in order for them to entrust it to me. I need to be a better friend. And I think really what we need in the body of Christ is we just all need to ask Christ to help us to be better friends, to be better at loving those that God brings into our life. We need to be better friends. And when you are that type of friend, when you're a better friend, a friend that loves at all times, a friend who thinks the best of others, a friend who can be counted on, who invests, who shares, who comforts, I think that that verse gets fulfilled. You become a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Let me conclude by saying this this morning as my wife comes to the platform. I'm a blessed man because I have many friends that are just like what I'm talking about here this morning. Uh, they're close to me. They're closer to me than a brother. They're closer than my birth family that I came from. They've walked life out with me. They've laughed with me. They've cried with me. They've worked with me. They've blessed me. They've forgiven me. They've not judged me. They've suffered through me, and they've suffered with me. They've partied with me, vacationed with me, helped me, held me, renovated with me, hoped with me. Bottom line is they've loved me. I've been blessed with those kind of friends. And I trust that I've been that kind of friend to them as well. But as I was finishing up this month, I said, God, I want to be an even better friend to those that need friends. I want God to show me how to be a better friend. And when we are better friends, we fulfill the scripture that says, we're the family of God. We're the family of God. Amen. Uh, early in our years in ministry, I was very, very lonely. <clears throat> but I had a motto, and I'm not proud of it, but my motto was, anything I say can and will be used against me in a room full of women. <laughs> um, so trust, obviously, was a huge issue. And here's what happens, and I, I really believe, ladies, to listen to this, or, or maybe it's for some of you guys, but what happens when you close yourself off from relationships and friendships and connections, meaningful connections with other people. And I'm not talking just praying together at an altar. I'm talking where you do life with other people. What happens is you begin, as you've made those vows to put up those walls, you begin to put expectations on your spouse to meet all of your needs. And that can put a strain on your relationship because I, I did that. I then, any voids I had, um, I was looking to him for, to fulfill those. And the fact that he was developing and, and, and all these great relationships, then actually almost had a, I had an envy there. But man, I don't like when the Lord asks me to share these personal <laughs> things. I would much rather uh, uh, sit in the front row. <laughs> but, but, I, but listen to what I'm sharing here. Because when you 
close yourself off from developing other relationships, being a friend, giving and taking, and yes, sometimes getting hurt, and I have, but the richness, the fulfillment it's brought to me, the development it's brought to me as an individual, the growth that it's brought to me in my life, and it, it has helped me to develop into a greater level of who God has created me mm-hmm. to be. Amen. There's areas as much as my spouse may love me that he just can't help me develop in those areas. And there's things that I need to talk to somebody else about at times too. And I'm not talking about giving away my loyalty from him. But I just would challenge you to take the chance. If you've made those vows, I will never, I will never trust. I've been violated. I will never do this. I will never do that. I would encourage you today to number one, repent for those vows and those lines you've drawn in the sand. And to take it to the Lord and ask him to open up your eyes and to begin to take steps towards developing deep and meaningful relationships. Amen. Amen. Wow. Let's stand together this morning. I apologize. We went a little longer than usual here this morning. I'll blame it on Barry's eight-minute insert there. (laughs) That way... He's a friend and he's got broad shoulders. He can handle it. <laughs> but um, I, I think this is probably one of those messages that uh, you need to take some time to reflect on. Maybe listen a little bit more to it uh, this week. Ask the Holy Spirit how, how I can be a better friend. I know that's what I've been doing over the last year, saying, Lord, how can I be a better friend? How can I love people more deeply? How can I care more honestly? How can I you know, sincerely take that journey with others and, and uh, be a better friend. Because I want better friends, so i got to be a better friend. Amen? Amen? And to all the friends that we have in our lives, my wife and I want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for walking with us, partnering with us, um, you know, sharing your life with us, taking the journey with us, um, enduring all of our constant renovations that we seem to be doing and And we just want to thank you for whether you find yourself and you think that part's small or you think it's large, we say thank you because it's all important to us. And we're grateful for each and every one of you. Amen. Amen. Father, we just thank you today for the family of God. I thank you, Lord, that the best friends I've ever had in my life are here with me right now. That, Father, you have called people together in our hearts that, Lord, we would not be able to function without. And Lord, there are friends not because we're pastoring here or because they're part of the congregation, but they're friends because we have found a way to mutually invest in one another and become better because of it. And Lord, I pray today that, Father, each of us would take some time this week to say, Lord, how can I be a better friend? How can I grow? How can I be stretched? How can I... Uh, be in that place where I make the investments to help others be better and reap the benefit of being made better myself. Father, I pray that you would uh, take us on that journey together, Lord, and as we do so, and we invite more and more people into that wonderful friendship that's called the body of Christ, that, Father, we would find brothers and sisters we never knew. In fact, some of the best friends we're ever going to meet, we haven't even met yet. Lord, they're out there, and you're going to bring them to us. And Father, we thank you for that revelation and that truth today, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
We want to say thank you to everybody for being with us today. Thanks for joining us online. Uh, and for everyone here today, uh, it'll be up as just a message, I think, by the end of tomorrow or whatever. I encourage you to watch this a couple more times. Drink from this well because I believe this is the future yeah. of our house. Amen. God bless you. Have an amazing week in him.